KPFA here in Berkeley and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KSCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadow out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today You know what today is. Today is Christmas Eve. I don't know when the Eve part starts. (laughs) Anyway, it's the night of the mother. I'm one of those who celebrates at night. I can't get up Christmas morning. I did that for, oh, a few years when my children were little. But (laughs) the last time somebody tried to get me up early Christmas morning... I behaved rather badly. Anyway, uh, today, uh, free association is my downfall here. Now, today I had a total of 27, 27 subjects to cover because this is almost, almost my last show this year. And uh, I didn't get to the holiday crafts fair this year. I was not in the pink and uh i just wanted to tell you i do have i do have four titles if anybody's interested you just write to me here at kpfa box 94 and i will get back to you on that uh i think yes i think i have a couple of couple of requests for information and i will get around to those asap and thank you thank you thank you for Cards, notes, letters, and uh, just your your general feedback. <laughs> I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how many people remember some of the nonsense <laughs> I get off on the airwaves here. Uh, anyway, I wanted to talk today a little bit about children's books because I know there isn't time, but you still might be able to run out to the store and <laughs> buy by a beautiful children's classic. I I know that everybody's using the videos and the tapes and everything, but I do think, I do think it's worthwhile getting, you know, uh, getting both. That's the way they sell them nowadays. You get the uh, video and the book. I have here a pile of books, uh, the Beatrix Potter little Peter Rabbit books. <laughs> oh boy, Peter Pan, Peter Rabbit. Oh, the Little Mermaid, the Little Prince, Tiny Tim, Tinkerbell. Uh, anyway, I wanted to tell you there is a movie 
about um, Beatrix Potter. <laughs> Renee Zellweger plays the uh, uh, the role of Beatrix Potter. An amazing, an amazing woman she was. Uh, the little, the Peter Rabbit book, the little, uh, you know, there are these little tiny, tiny books there about, what's it, one, two, three, four, three by four. Anyway, they're, the size of them is part of their charm. First one was published in 1902. That's the year both my parents were born. And the, uh, special, special thing about Beatrix Potter is that she is what we call uh, <laughs> community-minded. Uh, her books, let's see, she, she made a lot of money, and she wound up leaving 4,000 acres to the uh, National Trust in England. You know, farms, undeveloped land, it's still there. Can you imagine doing something that sensible, uh, she's just an ecologist. She's a saint. Uh, I think um, mm, the biography I've got in front of me is not very complex. Uh, it just tells you all the usual things about her Victorian childhood. And it does point out that among all of the Victorian writers, she was one of the least sentimental. <laughs> not, not like that. Dear old Victorian hypocrite Charlie Dickens, but Beatrix uh, spent her entire life uh, with the animals. Uh, she did marry late in life. Uh, anyway, let's see here. Uh, she was uh, living in the English Lake District. Now, that's a place I wanted to visit all my life. That and the home of the Brontes. Uh, maybe I'll get there before my time is up. You never can tell. Anyway, as an ecologist and a conservationist, she's certainly a force for good in the community. Uh, the Tale of Peter Rabbit, published 1902, was the first of the books. I, <laughs> I love the, what do you call it, the, uh, the ironic tone she takes, you know. Uh, my absolute favorite is Aunt Jemima Puddleduck. You remember? She was she was too high strung, too neurotic to take care of the uh, uh, the little babies, the little ducks. You know, she couldn't sit on the eggs, and the fox almost got her. Uh, anyway, I have this little book here, uh, Beatrix and her wedding day, and. Uh, uh, with her sheep, yes. Aunt Jemima Puddle Duck was my mother's favorite among all these books because uh, it showed the, uh, <laughs> the, the, la the lack of uh, conscientious mothering in Jemima Puddle Duck. Uh, I think, yes, she was born in London in 1866 and... Things were pretty elegant. She was part of the leisure class. It is nice to to remember that there are advantages to having a, a leisure class. Now I know that uh, those of us who <laughs> those of us who worry about things like that, uh, you know, it's an instant turnoff. But there is uh, an upside to that sort of thing. Uh, oh yes, let's see these pictures. Uh, in the movie, they show you how Beatrix was 
basically a scientist and her uh, drawings are amazing and also beautiful. She was a painter. But of course, nobody took her seriously because she was a girl. A friend of mine asked me today, what would have happened if uh, the Madonna, if Mother Mary had had a little girl baby instead of a little boy baby? And I thought, okay, there's another, there's another tale. There's a novel in that one. Uh, anyway, Beatrix Potter, yes. Uh, I remember once I had, oh, I think all of the little books on a shelf somewhere and I gave them away and I'm sorry. I wish I'd kept them just, just because I like to look at them. I know that uh, I'm always forcing books on people, which is probably the wrong way to approach it. But uh, I think there's a store over in San Francisco. Uh, now I've forgotten the name, but anyway. They usually have at least a few of the Beatrix Potter books, and I'm going to go check it out again. Uh, Beatrix Potter, Two Bad Mice. Yes, that's my second favorite. That's the one about the two little mice who get into a doll's house and uh, create mayhem. <laughs> that was my second favorite. Uh, two Bad Mice, Susan Stone was very fond of that. Susan Stone was uh, head of the drama and literature department here for many, many years. I do, do miss her so much. Uh, now, let's see. As I said, I have, oh, so many things today. It's, what do you call that? It's one of those days when uh, I'm completely fragmented. Uh, uh, last week, I started out with Ferdinand the Bull, uh, it's the pacifist propaganda book. I didn't know that. My children loved that book, and it was years before I found out that uh, it was a serious, a serious uh, propaganda. Hitler burned it, banned it. It's the one about the little bull who wouldn't fight, you know. The Cleveland plane dealer wrote that uh, it would would you call that, uh, corrupt the children of America, teach them to be communists, socialists, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> in our master narrative, in our stories, uh, we always have a conquering hero. There is a book that came out 50 years after Ferdinand the Bull was published called Ferdinand and the Bullies. It was used in the public schools, and it's the one about how Ferdinand becomes a real, real guy and goes out there and, and uh, roughs up the guys. You know how that is. Uh, apparently, nobody could stand having Ferdinand be just a hippie. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the other movie I wanted to remind you about... Uh, is this wonderful picture with uh, Emma Thompson. I've been watching her give interviews. <laughs> she uh, she made a movie called Nanny McPhee, which I wasn't crazy about. It's okay. It has Colin Firth in it. But uh, her latest is called Saving Mr. Banks, and it's about Mary Poppins. How about that? Uh, P.L. Travers was this wonderful screwball <laughs> she was a lot of fun uh she had um what do you call that uh 
she had this idea that her her book should be made into a movie that was you know in some way resembling her book and of course that didn't happen and so she had a great battle with Walt Disney now in this movie Emma Thompson plays P.L. Travers and Tom Hanks plays Disney couldn't be better couldn't be better she was complaining yes because she had to go around with a horrible horrible perm on her head throughout the filming of this uh, movie I think I was trying to figure out how we could get copies of that for the next the next uh, marathon and you know give away the video but <laughs> it's hard to do we'll see we'll see anyway it's called once again it's called saving mr banks and mr banks is the father of jane and michael banks the adorable children uh that uh what is it they're the oldest children there's a couple of twins they're the younger ones <laughs> they're wonderful too anyway uh everybody knows that one uh now I have pages and pages here about Victorian sentimentality, and I'm not going to bother with that because you know all of that. Everybody knows all of that. Uh, I keep hearing people tell me that sentimentality is the worst literary sin of all, you know, and that the 19th century was just uh, a wash with these uh, sad, weepy Christmas stories and... <laughs> My actual, my actual favorite was one called "The Bird's Christmas Carol," in which a child is born on Christmas and dies on Christmas, and in between she has a wonderful party for the children next door, the Ruggles. Yes, and uh, you know there isn't a dry eye in the house at the end. That book, I really think, is the one I would toss, or I wouldn't use it. I would ask children how they feel about it. Uh, hmm. Hmm. I think it overwhelmed me at the time. Uh, but the more I think about it, I know uh, it's a problem because these days the the general tone, let's say, the atmosphere uh, is so coarse and so, uh, I can only say, ugly that uh, any trace of gentleness kindness that sort of thing uh, is worth worth seeing i i noticed recently a couple of films made uh, about russian television back in the day and <laughs> they had a guy like uh, mr rogers you know he's always comforting the children saying kind things to them wishing them good night uh, being parental I think we have all too little of that stuff. Anyway, uh, a little revival of compassionate concern. I think I could stand it. Uh, and anyway, uh, I do want to, let's see, do I have time? Do I have time uh, to read you? Yes, I do. Of course I do. I have time to read you this piece in this wonderful book about the Wizard of Oz. It's the Centennial Edition by L. Frank Baum. You remember there were all these, uh, what do you call that, uh, critical essays written about uh, the Wizard of Oz, you know, how it was a political uh, parody and 
parable, that kind of thing. The wonderful Wizard of Oz came out in 1900. Yeah, just like just like Beatrix Potter's books. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Frank Baum got started with some Mother Goose books, and things were going along very well. And <laughs> then he put together The Wizard of Oz, and his publisher refused to publish it, as did every other publisher in Chicago, said the color was too expensive, and they objected to the subject matter. In those days, books for children were supposed to be educational, uplifting. Now, this, they said, was just a fairy tale. And there were plenty of those old-fashioned stories already in print. So, finally, finally, uh, George Hill took a chance, published the book. 1900, it sold for $1.50. Now, it contained more than 100 illustrations with 24 color plates. The color of the pictures matched the Oz geography, blue illustrations for the chapter set in the Munchkin country, green for the Emerald City, and so on and on. And there's a big excerpt uh, from the introduction here. I'll skim over it. Frank Baum said that uh, time has come for a series of newer wonder tales in which the stereotype genie, dwarf, and fairy are eliminated together with all the horrible and blood-curdling incident devised by their authors to point a fearsome moral to each tale. I have a bunch of notes of my own here about <laughs> the sadism in the books by the Brothers Grimm. Actually, I find them fascinating, but, you know, Bruno Bettelheim says that... <laughs> says that they're not, not good for children. Anyway, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz was written solely to pleasure the children of today, says Frank. It aspires to being a modernized fairy tale in which the wonder and joy are retained and the heartaches and nightmares are left out. Oh, dear. Aha. In fact, the story is built on the tradition of fantasy adventures. And then they go on to talk about the details. Uh, you remember those lovely ruby slippers. They were actually silver shoes in the original. And, uh, you know, the scarecrow woodman, the cowardly lion, when I was 13, I played the scarecrow. I was terrific. Uh, I was madly in love with the cowardly lion, but I noticed at some point that uh, <laughs> he was in love with the tin woodman. I was learning, you know, bit by bit. Uh, anyway, I think, I think that the funny part is that, well, see, Frank Baum wanted Dorothy to be practical. Uh, now, he, he created her as a chunky farm girl about seven years old with long brown hair and thick braids. And uh, when she melts that witch, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West with the pail of water, uh, the witch falls down in a brown, melted, shapeless mass and begins to spread all over the clean boards of the kitchen floor. Now, seeing that the witch had already melted away uh, into nothing, 
Dorothy threw another bucket of water, threw it all over the mess, and then swept it all out the door. <laughs> A housewife will appreciate that. Uh, anyway, the critics liked the book. The New York Times uh, has a very favorable review here, and they compare the book to uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Um, nothing like, but anyway, many critics thought that the uh, art, the illustrations, were better than the writing. Uh, anyway, it was the best-selling children's book of 1900, and Frank Baum did not realize at first how well the book was doing, and uh, <laughs> when his wife Maud needed Christmas money, she told Frank to ask his publisher for an advance. Well, Frank Baum preferred to wait for his regular payment, but then he hated to disappoint his boys. Uh, finally, he agreed to ask for $100. So he called on George Hill at the publisher's office, and when the publisher heard what Frank wanted, he summoned his bookkeeper. Hill told the man to write out a check for all the money the firm owed Frank. Frank pocketed the check without looking at it. When he got home, Maud was ironing his other shirt. Frank gave her the check made out for $3,432.64. Maud was so excited, she burned a hole in his shirt. Now, let's see, 3000 anyway... That was a tremendous amount of money back in the day, but uh, it also shows you what kind of uh, <laughs> what kind of a person Frank Baum was. He he had a rough time uh, financially, that kind of thing. My favorite story in this uh, in this biography and collection of essays about the Wizard of Oz is the one about his mother-in-law. Would you believe that the author of The Wizard of Oz was the son-in-law of uh, Matilda Gage, that's G-A-G-E, one of the most famous feminists back in the early 20th century. Uh, <laughs> it would have been nice to see the hear the conversations that they had. Uh, anyway, I would recommend this centennial edition uh, that's full of essays by Ray Bradbury, John Updike, Gore Vidal, and you name it. And I think, let's see, I'm trying to think. It's not expensive. This is a nice little paperback. I'm trying to see the date on it. Oh, it's not. I'm sure it's in the library. Uh the Wizard Centennial, blah, 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 Yes, because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does by Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Father Goose recommended reading. Anyway, this is the book that I would use if I were back in the classroom and asking young people to uh, write and talk about uh, the history of fantasy here in these United States. As we all know, there is nothing more real than fantasy. And our children's lives, the dream life uh, of the children, is probably, is it, the most fundamental, 
the most fundamental uh, issue, at least for me, always has been. It's been a long time since I uh, really dug into the subject because uh, I'm 80 now and I can't. I, I really... I really can't stay with some of the new books. They they seem to me um, not so much ugly, it's just bland, a little boring. Uh, anyway, there have been a few, few new ones, and I will try to talk about them one of these days soon. Uh, you know, I guess where the wild things are would be the, the biggie, the one issue. Uh, we still have... Uh, no decent films about, well, Peter Pan has been a complete failure. The Mary Poppins, oh, I don't know. Depends on how you feel about Julie Andrews. I don't think that uh, that movie captures uh, the, what you call it, uh, not just the irony, but the mystery of the Mary Poppins books. Uh, Anyway, ah, I have a list of all the statistics. What a waste of time, yes, about children in the 19th century and all the things that Charles Dickens was trying to write about. And, of course, uh, <laughs> nobody cares about the numbers, you know. Uh, uh, children working in wretched conditions, uh Gin-soaked prostitutes, uh, tuberculosis. Uh, <laughs> it's all very sad, but I think that maybe, <laughs> at least we know now that the best way to reach people is by personalizing, by making up stories about individuals. Uh, I'm one of those who still hasn't recovered from uh, the Little Mermaid. Talk about talk about sadism. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I found a poem here by Edna St. Vincent Millay that I don't really have time to read either because it's all about the message of the Christ Child. What uh, what it all means, you know, about birth and rebirth and hope and redemption and all that good stuff. But at the end of the poem, she points out that uh, there has been a great, a great silence. Oh, for about, she says, 2,000 years. <laughs> but, oh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, now, the last thing I wanted to read you today was all about women and mothers and that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> when I got here to the radio station today, I found a book <sighs> called A History of the Movement of Sex Workers from Stonewall to Slut Walk. And I thought, how interesting, Toni Morrison always says that a whore can be a lover. It's getting harder and harder. You know, the words begin begin to fail us. It's hard to know uh, what it all means in today's world. Uh, sex and money are the, the biggest subjects. And uh, we know there must be a connection somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, 
I was looking here at the the back of the book. Ah, yes, sluts. Joycelyn Elders, you remember our former U.S. Surgeon General? A woman. Uh, Jimmy Carter, a good man, Jimmy Carter, had to fire that woman because she told the truth. Imagine. Imagine that. Anyway, uh, Joycelyn Elders, uh, too many things today, too much, too much on my plate. I hope you have a happy Christmas. I really do hope you have a happy Christmas. By next week, I should be organized. Let's hope. Till next Tuesday, go easy. This has been Jennifer Stone. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. To Full Circle this Friday, December 27th from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFA 94.1 FM. There's no better time for reflection than as we approach the new year. And to celebrate, your Full Circle team has put together a special retrospective of their favorite pieces from 2013. From features to news, live performances and community events, we'll be surprising you with a selection of our personal best produced here at the Apprenticeship Program. Thank you for supporting us throughout this past year. We look forward to bringing you more Eclectic Radio in 2014. So tune in to Full Circle this Friday, December 27th from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFA 94.1 FM as we take you on a journey through the best sounds of 2013. From Feature Story News in Washington and our bureaus around the world, 